0: I want to introduce you this morning to two of my, my friends, Corey and Colby. Uh, you see them here; they're imaginary. Um, this is this is Corey, and this is Colby. Uh, Corey, when you shake Corey's hand, uh, his hand is soft, and you feel it. And you just kind of like do that handshake, and and Corey very much. It's just kind of there, kind of limp fish kind of deal. And you feel his hands, and his hands are just super soft. He could be on a Jorgensen's commercial, no calluses or whatever. But if you reach over here and you shake Colby's hand, I mean, it's a firm grip. You you know that you better get in deep. Uh, you feel like he's about to give you the business. And, man, you feel his calluses. You feel the cracks in his hands. You can tell some things just by shaking his hands. You you look at my friend Colby here, and, and he's not a whole lot... To, to look at physically, he's he's um, he's short. He is uh, a little over a little overweight, and he and he wears, clo- uh, wears clothes that are just a little too too tight in certain places. And so he, you know it just it just doesn't work. It's like not this physical specimen. But if you shake Colby's hand, you look you you like you're like looking at Colby, and Colby's got these big broad shoulders, and he's got this big nice chest and these arms, and you know he just man. He looks like a man. And uh, he's dressed, he's got on a flannel shirt and he's got on these cool looking jeans and these work boots, unlike my friend with these tight clothes over here. that He's got a cardigan, he's got like, I don't know, some, some Italian made leather shoe that I can't even pronounce the, the, the name of. Um, which one is sounded more like our kind of definition of American man to you? Colby or Corey. Okay, our ideal American man, our ideal American man. It's funny, the girl, it's the women who were like, Corey, that's our dude. <laughs> that's the guy, is Corey. All right, I'm going to keep going. Um, Colby can fight. Like, if, if somebody is trying to fight, you want Colby on your, your team, like, that dude's going to protect you. Col- Colby is tough. Uh, Corey would, would run out the back door. In a hurry, wants nothing to do with uh, a fight. Um, Colby, on this hand, Colby works in the oil fields and can handle himself. He makes really good money. He's one of those, like, ten days on, a couple days off, ten days on. And he does really hard physical labor, makes really good money. Uh, Corey, on the other hand, is uh, a a barista at Starbucks. And he serves coffee. That's what he does for living. Nothing wrong with that, but that's, that's, that's what he does. Um... Colby is like the type of guy who can fix anything. You know, if it, if it breaks down, he can fix it. He can swing a hammer. He can, he can turn a w- wrench. He can wire stuff. He, he, can, he can do literally anything that you put in front of him. He can, he, if, it, if it breaks, he can fix it. If it needs built, he can, he can build it. Corey doesn't know the right end of the hammer to hold, doesn't know the right end of, of a wrench, but, hey, he's really good in Excel. Um, ooh. <laughs> Red just stood up back there mad at me Really good at Excel um, Colby likes to, to hunt and to fish And to backpack in the mountains And man, he can, he can kill it He can clean it He can grill it um, Col- Colby is a vegan, of course um, that Corey, sorry, Corey, thank you Corey is a vegan, uh, of, of course and, and he likes playing Scrabble And Bridge Alright, now Which one is the more ideal American man? Colby or Corey? Colby. All right. Now, Corey is committed to his wife. He loves her. He cherishes her. And he would never cheat on her. I mean, he he is a one-woman man. Colby, on the other hand, he's married, but he'll flirt. And, and if, he's, if he's somewhere and there's an opportunity, he's an opportunist, and he'll just hide it. He also has a secret addiction, uh, and he really doesn't care if his wife founds out about it or not, but he's got an addiction to pornography. Um, Corey loves his kids and spends a ton of time with them. He nurses them, he cherishes them, he's not scared to change a diaper Not scared to get down and and play with dolls with his little girl, but not scared to go outside and teach his son how to throw the baseball. Colby's too busy doing his hobbies. He's he's too busy busy working on his four-wheel drive or shooting his bow, getting ready for hunting season to spend time with his kids. And besides, he goes to work out in the oil fields ten days at a time. Corey... He's personally devoted to Christ. He gets up in the morning and Corey reads his Bible. He studies his Bible. He spends time in pray- prayer. He, he prays the Luke 10-2 prayer. He prays for missionaries. He doesn't... Col- Colby prays fox, foxhole prayers. Uh, when the artillery's coming over and it's in times of trouble, Lord, get me out of this mess. Lord, if you let me survive, I'll then, I'll then do this for you kind of, kind of deal. Um. Corey is actually an elder in his church. I mean, He's super faithful in church. He leads in his church. Um, he shows up and serves. He'll work in kids ministry. He'll work in student ministry. He'll take out the trash. He'll clean the bathroom. He's often, he's often asked to lead worship. He's skilled in leading worship. But yet, Colby is a priester. Is a Christmas and Easter, that's when he goes to church. He'll sometimes, when he's there, put a 20 in the plate to make himself feel better. Now... I'll ask you again, which is the ideal man? Corey or Colby? Corey. Here's the point that I'm trying to make. is that the, the, I went through that whole first list of things, and I described what, it, what we think of as of the ideal man and what we want a man to be. And none of those things... Are things that qualify them to be a man. Not one of them. Now, what makes a man a man? His biology. How God made him, right? His, his, um, his physical body. You get what I'm saying? His, his plumbing. His plumbing. How God made him. The, the, his, his chest hair. His armpit hair. His beard hair. The, his, his physical stature. That makes him a, a male but what makes him a man? So this, this goes back to, we've, we've talked about gender roles and how we've distorted gender roles. Now, I want you to understand, our culture and every culture has distorted gender roles and will continue to distort gender roles And the way in which we do those things will change. There are things that we identify as manly in our culture that we may go to another culture, maybe another time, maybe another place, and that, that's not ascribed to, to a man. The same, same thing would be true of a, a woman. And so in, in our culture, we're very much little boys should, should, should play with their toys and little girls should play with their toys. I'm not arguing against that, by the way. I'm just saying, like, we have kind of have it ascribed. We have it in these columns of what makes man, what makes a boy a boy and what makes a girl a girl. Uh, girls should like pink and boys should like blue. Don't really know where that came from. I'm sure there's some research that lets us know where that came from, but it's trucks and it's our dolls. And, and if we look at those things, and a little boy likes pink, or a little boy um, It's like, hey, what's under this? What's this doll about? You know? And they like it. Then we all of a sudden we go, hey, maybe maybe they're mixed up. Maybe 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 that that little boy's really. Uh, a, a girl, and, and I want you to understand something. These are these are cultural ascribed roles. They are created not because of how they're biologically made, but because of how they they are nurtured. I want you to understand something. My boys, right here, front row. Um, last last night, James James, we at the dinner table, and James says, "You only have one boy because John's become a man." And, uh, and, and I agree, James. Amen. He's a great young man. But listen, my boys, um, I, they love to hunt. They love to ride motorcycles, and they love Georgia football, right? Go dogs. Why do they love those three things? Because their dad does. Because this is the, this is the thing that I've done with them and I've taught them to do. I, from I have we Jennifer and I have had them in the outdoors backpacking since they could barely hold a backpack. They were reeling in and catching fish. I mean, John Owen was catching fish when he was I think three seriously three years old he 's got that little snoopy rod he 's catching catching fish James the same I mean when they 're about this tall, they were on the cover of the Kentucky fishing regulations with a big old stringer of catfish that they caught that i didn 't catch and so Why? I have nurtured that in them. Buddy's sons love UK basketball, right? Go Cats, right? They love big four-wheel drive things, right? They want it to crawl and crumb and break. And he's a a Jeep person, so they like it to break down. And um, (laughs) he drives a Toyota. I'm just kidding. Uh, They like to ski, right? His kids can ski. Jude, I hear Jude's a beast. My kids can't ski. Why? Because I don't ski. Pizza and french fries hurt me. I'm just going to tell you that, and I have, I've, I've sworn it off. I'm not doing it. My kids one day are going to grow up and be like, we lived in Colorado and our parents didn't take us skiing. They're horrible. I, they are. They're going to they're think that. It, it is how we nurture and raise our, our children. You're, there's so much sociological evidence that shows that our, our children are products of their environments. Now, it's not, it's not whole. It's not saying, I'm not saying there aren't, there aren't other things and there are other environments. And, and often there's a lack of influence. There's a lack of a positive environment that, that creates um, uh, a negative result, right? But the, the truth is you are born. You were created in the image of God. But you are either. He says male and female. He created them. So, my point is, our children's growth largely depends on how we nurture them. So, the question becomes, how do we nurture them? What do we nurture them to? Now, here's my big truth for today as we begin to dive into God's Word. Just, just remember, this is, this is week, I, th- I think this is the fourth sermon in this sermon series. Um, we have we have walked through and we've talked through how we are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. Last week, male and female, I, I walked through and I showed us how both male and female are fearfully and wonderfully made. This week, I'm diving in on what it means to be a man, and next week, what it means to be a woman. Okay, I, I was only going to go w- one more week past that, but I, I'm going to have to go two more weeks past that. Okay, so as I'm breaking this down, I'm realizing I'm just. I, I could probably preach on this through, through Advent, um, but I won't do that. So here's the big truth. God created men with a purpose and a role for them to fulfill. It's a simple truth. God created men with a purpose and a role for them to fulfill. I want to read a statement. This is from the Danvers uh, statement. God created male and female equally. In his own image and having equal value and dignity, nevertheless having different complementary callings in both marriage and in the church. And so this is one of the things that we've got to continue to grasp is that male and female are created equally. In our culture and other cultures, we have raised, I talked about this a lot last week, men over women and if it is not that way, it's not what you see in the Bible, it's not what you see in Scripture, it's surely not what you see in the Gospel and how He treated Jesus treated women. Men and women are created differently. However, we have different complementary callings that complement one another, both in marriage and in the church. If, if you remember last week's analogy in forks and spoons, right? Uh, forks and spoons are equal in value, dignity, and worth. I love eating steak with a fork, and I love eating my Captain Crunch cereal with a spoon. Both are equally important to me. I don't ever want to try eating ice cream with a fork. I'm sure you could do, do it partially, right? But you're not going to get about that last 20%. And, and, and God created us both. They're complementary. Okay? Big truth. God created men with a purpose. And a role for them to fulfill. So the question becomes, what is the role? 1 Corinthians chapter 16. This is going to be a, a key verse. And we're going to look in here uh, quite a bit. Paul says, he's kind of giving these final thoughts to the, to the church at Corinth. And he says, be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. And so here's my first big idea. There is a biblical way for men to act. There is a biblical way for men to act. It is not ascribed by the culture. It's not a gender role placed by the culture. It is a gender role uh, prescribed and described by men. The Bible. So when we look at this, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. He's saying there is, there is a way in which you should act. And I want you to understand something. So we're talking about biologically being male. The Bible and, and culture describes that. And when you're born as being a boy, but there is a transition from being a boy to being a man. Right, we see this very clear in the Bible when that transition would happen. It's not so clear in our culture. Our cult- culture actually doesn't agree with it. Right, our insurance providers are like, "Well, at 26 you become a man," right? But our government says at 21 uh, you can drink, and at 18 you can join the army. Right? There's there's certain there's certain things. Right? Uh, some people look and go, "At this age, at, at this age, you can do this. At this age, you can do that." Our culture doesn't agree. In the Bible, it was uh, that at the time of Bar Mitzvah, that at 13, there would have been a, a transition to, to manhood uh, in, in tra- traditional Judaism. Um, there is a difference. You transition from being a boy, being nurtured into a man, to fulfill in manhood what it is that God designed men to do. So there's a biblical way for men to act. Sometimes before you, you build it up, you have to break it down. And I want to just blow, blow this in. I started blowing it down, blowing it up with, with Corey and Colby. I, I want you to understand something. We've, we've been in the book of, of Genesis chapter 1. It's been really the anchor text for this series. And we see the beauty of God's creation and how he created things. As we sit here and ask what a man is, one thing that we have to say is what a man is not. On the side of creation, man and animals are in the same category, right? They are created beings. But on the side of of deity and eternity and how God made us in his own image, what we have to first say is a man is not an animal. A a, a man is not an animal. God, God designed us with a different purpose. I heard... One pastor, say it this way, I'm going to paraphrase what he said, because what he said wasn't, he was not in a, uh, he was not in a PG environment. And so I'm going to paraphrase it. He said, um, animals are ruled by their desires, their natural instincts. Uh, when they're hungry, they eat. When they are angry, they fight. When they get tired, they sleep. When they get aroused, they try to reproduce. And many even eat their own offspring. In some corners, this divines manhood. Who can eat the most food? He can, who can drink the most beer? Win the most fights. Get away with doing the least amount of work while getting the most women and then convincing them to murder their own pre-born babies. We're not animals. We're not raised to, to be this way. We're, we're, we're not. This is, this is not who God called us to be. But yet, often the culture has defined that as masculinity, and what do we as a culture define it as so often, right? Toxic masculinity. We we've, we've made we've made two mistakes. We've either we've either raised men to this level and made them like, expected, expected these things of them, what, what we expect of nature, and that has created abuse, or we've said men and women are just the same and what that has done, when you have said that, when you when you when you take our generals and say that they're the same, you, you actually keep keep someone from fulfilling their actual created purpose. So it's just, and, and then it minimizes them, and it does the opposite. So as a culture, we either have created something that's that's abusive or something that's reclusive, something something that, that is working backwards and not forward, something neither creating to do their design purpose. Now. I want to show you something. We look at verse 16. I'm sorry, verse verse 14. So he says in in 1 Corinthians 16, be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. And then he says this, let all that you do be done in love. I, I just want to point this out. Men as God has designed them, are loving. They, they are designed to be loving and, and, and caring and nurturing. So I'm going to talk about like three the three classical kind of roles of manhood. But before I even say that, what I want you to know is that men are created to be loving. Uh, I mean, Paul said, you know, when I when I was a child, I acted like a child, I taught like a child. You know, I did these things, I was childish, but when I became a man, I. I, I put behind childish ways and then he goes on and says like as I put in my child, childish ways, what's the main thing I have to pick up? I, I, if, if I do all these things and I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. So, so he then points to the man, you, you should be loving. By the way um, this is also true of women. These are, this is a general truth that women would be loving uh, here's the, the truth of scripture that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and all our money. We love our neighbor as ourself. But one of the ways that culture gets it wrong, they think, well, women are loving, but men shouldn't be. No, men should be loving. We've raised our boys to say, I love you. Yesterday, on the football field, um, our, our boys, our, our James telling his, his other, other players, man, they're doing the bro hug and saying, love you, man. We've created them. Even though they're out there, they're, they're like in pads and smashing other people, they're able to say, I love you, I, I, I care about you, I'm what I do, I want to be done in love. Men are designed to be self-sacrificing. They're, they're designed to self-sacrificially love others. We are designed to consider others more significant than ourselves. So that is an important part of manhood. Is that as you grow and as, as biological boys who, who have the nurture me, feed me, take care of me, be responsible for me. And that's right and good. Your three-year-old should act that way. Your three-year-old should, should that's who your three-year-old boy is. But when he becomes a man, it's no longer nurture me, feed me, take care of me, provide for me. He grows into let me nurture, let me care, let me provide. The the roles reverse when we mature into manhood, and that ought to be out of love. So here's my next big idea. So I hope we, we know that, okay, one thing we're saying is... There's a biblical way for men to act. The chief cornerstone to, for that ought to be love. And here's the next big big idea. Is that men are designed to lead, provide, and protect. Men are designed to lead, provide, and protect. Now, I want you to understand, that's, that's not, that's... Not me, that's long been the theological argument and the de- designation of men. This isn't something I looked in, just looked myself, looked in the scriptures and came up with this. Scripture, um, it, it teaches this in multiple ways. It does it dis- prescriptively. It says, do these things, but it also does it descriptively. I'm going to show you both. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23 Paul says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. You see, this is not the only place we see this. We see this multiple places in scripture, that that in how God made men and women, he made husband to be the head of the wife. And, And we see this related back to Genesis. We see it different places. But that word head, even as Christ is the head of the church, so... Headship means leadership. That's what it means. It means leadership. It means that men are designed to lead. Now, this is obviously within the role of marriage. We see it within the role of of the church as well in other places of Scripture. I'm going to say that descriptively we see it applied in other places. In the Proverbs, which are general truths, we also see it kind of... Kind of ascribe how men ought to act uh, but leadership is one of the main things that they do that means that men should lead it doesn't mean that women are incapable of leading we'll talk about that next week by all means women are not incapable of leading they're very capable of leading some of the best women uh best leaders i have ever been around are are women my wife is a phenomenal leader that doesn't mean that God didn't create me and give me the role in my family and my marriage to lead. Often, men, men reject the role of leadership for, for whatever sinful reason. They don't want to do it. But we are called to do it. We are called to be to lead. That doesn't mean that we're called to trample. There's, I could go into a whole, like if I were talking about marriage and, and how a husband and wife ought to work, I could spend a lot of time talking about what that means, leading sacrificially, what it means to put the needs of my wife over myself, right? It, it, that, that's what it means. It doesn't mean lifting, lofting myself up to a position of, hey, you serve me. It means I'm lowering myself to position of servant leader. And so we talk about that. We talk about what that means to be a servant leader in our church uh, quite often. And so men are, are designed to lead. Um, I'm going tell you what happens when men don't lead. When men fail to lead in the home. When, when, when men fail to show up. What, what it means when there is a, a fatherless home. There's four times greater risk of poverty. You're way more likely to have behavioral problems in children. There's a a two times greater risk of infant mortality. Um, Crime rates go up in communities where men fail uh, to lead. You're seven more times. The the person who does not have a father in the home is seven uh, times more likely to uh, go to jail. It's also seven more times likely to become pregnant as a, as a teenager. Uh, in places where fathers fail to lead, men fail to lead, children are more likely to face abuse and neglect. They're more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol. They're two times more likely to suffer obesity. And they're two times more likely to drop out of school. Isn't that Interesting. We desperately need men to lead in our society. We desperately need men to lead in our homes. I, I, coach, I love coaching my boys, um, and I love coaching, so I've coached a lot of youth sports. And, and Gary and I just got done coaching um, uh, tackle football, and I would tell you this. I, I think, Gary, you would, I hadn't talked to you about this, but I think you would agree with me. You can look at the player and you can, you can tell what type of relationship they have with their father based off of, uh, of how that kid shows up to practice, what he does when he gets to practice, how he acts during practice, and what he does when practice is over. I can just about look at the kid and guarantee and go, man, that kid has a father involved in his life. And I can go over here and go, that kid, he doesn't have a father in his life. This kid, he's got a father, but his father's mighty busy. You can just see it play, play, play out. Men are designed to lead in this way. They're designed to lead their families. I think, I think from years of pastoral ministry and counseling, I could sit down with a husband and a wife, and within five minutes of conversation, I can know whether or not that, that father leads in his family or not. There's different things that would, that would, would tell me that. Um, there, there are things in, in the wife's voice and the amount of respect she shows him or, or, or doesn't show him, uh, the, the, the status of their kids, what, what their interests are. I can just about tell, like if the father leads. I can probably sit down with most of you and I can begin talking to you and we can talk about childhood and very quickly we could determine what your relationship was with your father and if he led or not. We desperately need men to lead. To, to, to care To love Lead in a loving way when, when, when we grow up When we have men in our society Not just necessarily in our homes But we have men in our society Who love us and care for us The outcome is in fact A beautiful thing I would dare say That in my life The men who've loved me uh, the most it Was not my dad a man named Harris Presley, you've heard me talk about him before, is the most loving, kind, godly man. in, in, in every way that I would think about a godly man, he was it. And his, his, his leadership was incredible. They're designed to lead. They're, they're, they're designed to provide. Man, the Bible says a lot about provision in men. It, one, it says, man, if, 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 a, if a man fails to take care of his family... And really, this, 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 there's application here to all believers. But if you pro- fail to provide for your family, uh, you're in sin. You're, you're, you're not doing what you ought to do. There's, great, there's strong language about it. The Proverbs talk about if a man doesn't work, a man shouldn't eat. That there, we, we go back to the book of, of Genesis, and we see what it means for uh, dominion. By the way, I, I, would, I would just point out in Genesis chapter 1... God doesn't give men dominion and and, and and puts women under their dominion it's not what happens if you read it we've read it multiple times in the past weeks he gives dominion to men and women over the rest of creation so so, so there there is dominion to, to take care of creation for men and women but within that relationship he's put men in leadership uh, that doesn't mean only men provide That's not what this means but it but, but it Certainly means that men ought to provide. Does it mean that the, the woman and, and the husband can't both work? But what it does mean is that a man is designed to work. He needs to be a provider, and we see that he is a protector. That when we look at um, when we look at First Corinthians sixteen, that he's watchful, that he's standing uh, firm in the faith, that he's protecting his family first from false doctrine, from false teaching, from the ways of the world, but also that we would see in Scripture that that men are designed to protect their families. Men are designed to be able to fight and go to battle in ways that we should not call women to do. Um, I mentioned that there's so much about this that's prescriptive versus descriptive. And here, I'm going to read you like just one descriptive text. Uh, I I love this text, and so this is why I'm reading it. 1 Chronicles 11, 22, and 24. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoadad, was a valiant man of Kibzal. So a valiant man. So as we know, this guy's good. A doer of great deeds. He struck down two heroes of Moab... He also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen. And he struck down an Egyptian, a man of great stature, five cubits tall. The Egyptian had in his hand a spear like a weaver's beam. But Benaiah went down to him with a staff and snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These things Benaiah did, the son of of Jehoiada, and it won a name beside the three mighty men. These other men of valor. You see... There, there is a warrior spirit that that is given to um, men to protect, and like I get it, I'm no Banaya but break in my house in the middle of the night and see if I'm not trying to take whatever you got from you, right? Just wait, I, I'm just saying. Um, you, you, you see what what it means for um, men to to protect. Man, I I remember. Um, Several, several years back, the Aurora Theater shooting. Do y'all remember that? One thing that just blew my mind about the Aurora Theater shooting. The man came in the back door of the theater, and he opens up and he starts shooting. And there were men trampling over, just trampling over women in order to get out. There There were people who sustained serious injuries, not because they got shot, but because men fled, and there was video, there were there were people who like pulled out pulled out phones or something. I remember I remember hearing stories of, of, of people. No one ran to him. No one ran towards the danger. No one sought to protect. Instead, they sought to protect themselves, and that's not who God has made men to be. He's made us to into this very this very thing to lead, uh, provide and protect. It's what we see in scripture. It's what we need. So, we can go and we can talk about all the other gender things, the, the, the gender norms, but here, here's what it boils down to. Men, you're designed to lead, provide, and protect. And when you try to escape those three things, you're going to be miserable. Whether you're single or where, where you are married. I, I just promise you this. If, if you know, we we stereotype and we make fun of we, we make fun of the twenty-six year old in his parents basement, in, in his pajamas, on the internet, addicted to porn and playing video games all day. Like look culturally, we kind of make, make fun of that dude. But I'm gonna tell you at the end of the day, I feel sorry for him. Because God has placed a call on his life and he's missing it. God's designed him a certain way and in and, and he's trying to escape. That call. And and where that happens, anxiety will rise, stress will rise. When when you are not working, listen, you are, and we say provide, that means you're made to work. Male and female, both are created to work. But I want you to understand when you work, you feel accomplished. It is good for you to work and provide. It's good for you to finish something as God created us and look at it and go, it is good. Man, I needed to win this week. I, I feel like in ministry, often, like your, your work is never done. There's never a finish, finished product until somebody dies and they're glorified in heaven, right? There's, and so I needed to win, and so like I had been working on this porch, and I, just like, I, needed to, I had been putting off building steps, and I went and built those steps so that I could build them, use my hands, use a saw. Hammer, nails, screws, all that good stuff. Actually, it was all done with screws. And um, look at it and stand back and go, man, that's good. Right? There, there, there is something to be said about doing. There's something to be said about using, I'm going to talk about this in, in a few weeks, but what it means to, to be physical, to expound energy, to burn calories in our body the way that God designed us, to, to have, to sweat there, there is something that it is good for us I mean we know about the brain and how it, it works and, and dopamine and different things that, that we need we know that we need to expound energy and what we know also is that that the opposite is true when we sit in front of screens all day and so uh, man I read, I read this whole article on the industrial Revolution and, and uh, masculinity in church and man there's a whole lot from it. Um, one thing that just came out of this movement, and they swung the pendulum way in the wrong way back in the Industrial Revolution. Um, one thing that came out of it, it is, it is spiritually important for a man to work. We need to work. We need to provide. We need to um, protect. And so we do this. We do it spiritually. We lead our family. We should. Leave. It is the fathers who should be leading in the discipling of your children. It, is, it should be leading in... Uh, your, your Bible reading, your family worship, your talk of, of things, you, your family that the Father should lead. The Father should be the one that says, hey, we're going to church on Sunday. You know, there's, there's, this, there's this common saying that I hear, hear guys say, uh, Sunday morning church is a Saturday night decision. Listen, it's not. It's not. Your attendance in church is a decision that the Father makes. The Father, you need to make the decision, our family is going to church, right? And so unless there is some reason that we are not going to church, you just need to know on Sundays we go to church. It's not Saturday night at the dinner table going, you know what, I think we ought to go to church tomorrow, family. No, your your kids need to know, no, it's Sunday, it's the Lord's Day, we're going to go worship together. You lead in that way. You provide Father's you are work, young men in the room. I want you to understand something. You uh, were designed for work. You were going to grow. You need to grow up one day and 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 learn to work. You need to enjoy work. There is obviously there's mundane. I know that it, that work work is work is hard, and you don't like it. And your dad asks you to do something. Your dad wants your help on something. You're like, I'd rather go play video games. No. Go learn from your dad. Your dad is showing you things and teaching you things that are going to matter when you're an adult, when you're the man. You're going to want to know those things. You're going to want to do it. We had, we had um, a hayride on Friday night, and I was grabbing bells and I was throwing them from one trailer to the next, and it just I went back in my head to may, maybe what's one of the most uh, formidable things in my life, and that was throwing hay on a farm. It's hard work. It's hot work, and it taught me to love work. Work is good. Providing is good. Young men, figure out a way to make money now. Figure out how to get that little side hustle going, right? Figure it out. And then tie some of it. save some of it. Now even being lear- learn how you're going to provide. Hey, save some of it, Buy your little sister something with it. Train now to be able to provide. And, and that we would protect. that we would When I say protect, that we would be people who would put ourselves in harm's way to protect our family. That we would go out of our way to make sure that our families have what they need. That others have what they need. We need to stand strong. And you need to stand up. I want you to understand that he says, be strong, stand firm. Right? There, there is there is not just a physical thing that's being represented there. There is a, we're standing on uh, the truths of Scripture. We're standing firm. We're not letting the culture blow us here or there. Here's another thing that we know about leadership: that, that if a mom comes to faith in Christ that the rest of the family has about a 20% chance of coming to Christ. So if there's a, a family and the mom is saved, about 20%, come to, 20% of the time the rest of the family comes to Christ. Check this out. If a kid gets saved, it's higher. If a kid in your family comes to a church event and a kid gets saved, then there's a, like a 25% chance that the rest of the family would come to faith. But do you know that if a man comes to faith, there is a 90% chance that the rest of the family comes to faith? It's a big difference, isn't it? 20, 25, 90. So, man, we, we, we need to do this. We need to lead, uh, lead provide, and protect. Now, here's the a, here's a last thing that I want to show you. This is 1 Corinthians 11, Paul again says, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So he says, I want you to understand this, that the head of every man is Christ. And so here's my next big idea, is that you can't stand and be a biblical man without first bending your knee to Jesus. You can't stand and be a biblical man as God has designed you to be without first bending the knee in submission to Jesus. Men in the room, what you were designed for, created in the image of God for, is to take up your cross and follow Christ. To admit that you are a sinner, to own that you are a sinner, to lay down your pride and go, I am a sinner and I fall short. I can't do it on my own I'm not perfect I can't perfectly lead provide and protect I can't be the perfect man I am a sinner I cannot save myself and so I am humbly bowing before the one who can save me I'm submitting my life to Jesus in order to lead I'm gonna take up my cross I'm gonna I'm gonna take up my cross and follow Jesus daily. We look at Jesus as being the ultimate man in the Bible. We look descriptively how the Bible described Jesus and we, we need to desire to be that way. So, we repent of our sins and we place our faith and trust in Jesus and, and we believe the gospel, the good news of the gospel is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That he gave himself up for for us that he paid the price of our sin that he took on our wrath that that he paid our penalty that he was our substitute that he atoned for our sins that Jesus Christ bled and died on the cross for us. And so men in the room if you want to be a biblical man, a godly man, you want to be who God created you to be, then the first thing you need to do is bow to Jesus and call him Father, we love you, and we thank you for your word, and that it's a gift, and when the world so often gets wrong who we are, who we need to be, what we're designed to do, what we're created to do, when our world denies creation, when it denies our purpose, when it ascribes to us wrong things. Lord, your word steers us correct. Your word brings us to truth. Your word is the lamp into our feet and a light into our path. Lord, your word shows us the way. Lord, I thank you that you allow me the privilege of pastoring a church that's got a whole bunch of godly men in it. Lord, I thank you... That in in the work that you're doing in this church that you have brought into the fold godly men who lead, provide, and protect. Lord, as I, I look out in this congregation I see lots of boys. Wild, adventurous, fun, spirited boys, God. I pray that you would grow them to be godly men. Not by the world standards, not by what the world says they should do or want to do or what they should be, but godly men—men men who are first, first love, love you and and love others. That that is that is a that is a man who loves, and that is a man who is leads and provides and protects. God, that you would raise up those those kind of men from our boys in our church. Lord, I pray that. The men in our church would stand strong. That we'd be watchful. That we would look to the world and the ideologies in the world that are being pushed. And that we'd stand firm. And that we stand up to them. We'd stand up for what's what's right. That we would stand against hate and, and, and bigotry. We'd also be willing to tell the truth and to tell it in love. I, I pray that, Father. Lord, I pray that, that, that men in this room may be wrestling with their identity, mess, uh, uh, wrestling with their masculinity, God, that you would comfort them, that you would show them in, in this moment who you created them to be. And that you'd help us as a church, disciple them, that the older men would teach the younger men how to follow you. That we would be a church that, that models... How Paul taught Titus. How Jesus taught his disciples. And that we would teach our men to be godly men. To stand firm in the faith and to be strong. Father, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, we stand.